From Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect, and this is Land Stories, with me, David Seawick. Each episode explores a different topic, such as the people, business, neighborhoods, communities, buildings, and other phenomena that make up the history of our college and our region. We tell stories, and in doing so, we connect the past to the present. Perhaps when historians look back at the 21st century, they will take a page from past century histories and past century historians who saw one century begin on the year that ends in one, not zero. We are more accustomed to looking at the century as beginning and ending with a zero or a nine, uh, respectively. Now, the reason why I start off with this little one-minute consideration of how we mark centuries is actually because we are going to spend a bit of time considering something that happened in Lansing in the year 2001. So, on this Land Stories, from the outset, it looks like we are doing some really recent history. But in actuality, our Land Story, we are going to tell today, is going to span several decades. And it centers around something that happened in Lansing in the year 2001. And that something was a dedication of the Michigan Vietnam Veterans Memorial, which happened on the 11th of November of 2001. Just two months after another uh, very important event happened that didn't just impact Lansing, but impacted all of the United States. And that would be, of course, the 9-11 attacks of New York City and Washington, D.C. and elsewhere. Perhaps because of those attacks, for the remainder of 2001, and I would say for the years that followed, not a lot of necessarily big news coverage was uh, devoted to the dedication of this memorial, perhaps in a way it would have been, had 9-11 not happened. And downtown Lansing has several war memorials, including to the Michigan Vietnam Veterans Monument that I'm going to talk about in more detail a little bit later on in the program here, as that is the primary focus of this 20th episode of Land Stories. But we also want to consider other war memorials in downtown Lansing, why they're there. And then, of course, one should never discuss a war without considering the people that were involved in it. And the veterans' memorials that we have here in downtown Lansing and elsewhere around Michigan are exactly that. They are memorials to the men and the women who made the ultimate sacrifice uh, to defend the United States of America. Some of the war memorials in uh, Lansing are on the Capitol lawn. Actually, many of them are. The Capitol lawn has developed over the years into a place where Michigan remembers those who were very important to us, near and dear to our hearts, and those who sacrificed in their uh, citizenry of the state of Michigan. One of those memorials uh, is actually a statue to Austin Blair, who is the Civil War governor. Uh, That would be the governor of Michigan during the American Civil War. There's a previous episode of Land Stories devoted to Austin Blair, and I would encourage you to take a minute, look it up and listen to it, but wait, of course, for this program to end uh, before you do so, and some of you have already listened to that episode, so you will know exactly who I am talking about and what I am talking about. Austin Blair, governor of Michigan during the Civil War, he is the only person that has a statue 
uh, dedicated to him on the Capitol lawn. Not far from Austin Blair, there are other monuments that memorialize Michigan's efforts in preserving the Union during the American Civil War. And there are monuments that memorialize other wars that Michigan men and women have fought in, including the Spanish-American War, the Filipino insurgency, which was part of that war, World War I, World War II, the Korean War, and Vietnam. And in fact, there's one monument on the Capitol lawn that covers all four of those wars, It's not far at all from where I sit at this very moment. I could get out of my chair and walk to it in maybe 10 minutes. And on that monument, there are uh, explanations for each of the four conflicts that are explained on it, including the Vietnam War. And for the Vietnam War, the passage that one could easily read as one was walking down Capitol Avenue and taking a pause to notice this monument, And for the Vietnam War, the explanation on that monument is brief, and it reads as follows. In June of 1950, America sent military advisors to Indochina to provide weapons and instructions. Vietnam gained independence, but was divided into North and South Vietnam. American advisors were increased in 1955 and began training South Vietnam's army. By 1961, hostile guerrilla action intensified in an all-out conflict. Once again, 372,000 Michigan citizens took up arms to preserve liberty is not only worth living for, but deserving of life if necessary. Because 2,579 of Michigan citizenry made the ultimate sacrifice, we honor 13,452 of our comrades who met the foe and were wounded in battle. A 1965 presidential order directed bombing of North Vietnam in reprisal for attacks on U.S. destroyers. Later, American Marines landed in South Vietnam, with the conflict continuing until January 27, 1973, ceasefire agreement. The last troops withdraw March 24, 1973. By defying aggression, America maintained hopes for world peace, disdaining slavery for peace with honor. Now, that memorial, again, it contains other explanations of the other wars, that are memorialized through its construction and dedication and presentation. Now, however, in 2001, after a considerable effort of many years, a memorial dedicated and devoted to the Vietnam veterans from Michigan uh, was unveiled. It was designed by New York-based architect Alan Gordon, The memorial that I speak of is not far at all from the one that I just read the plaque off of. In fact, the Michigan-Vietnam Veterans Memorial is near the entrance to the Michigan Halls of Justice. That would be the building that houses the Michigan Supreme Court. It is located on the west end of the Capitol Walkway, so uh, roughly about a half mile or so behind, if you're looking at the front of the Capitol building, uh, the state capitol. And the monument is a absolutely remarkable feature of the downtown Lansing architecture for really a variety of reasons, and I would like to explore some of those in here. Um, the, the most striking feature of the monument at all, is of all, are the names emblazoned on it. 
Um, the names of all the casualties from Michigan are listed by county in alphabetical order on 15 lighted plaques that are made of steel. And uh, there are also the names of those who were missing in action when the monument was uh, erected. And, and MIAs, Vietnam Missing in Action, are an important part of the conflict. They're an important part of the experience of those who fought in the conflict and, of course, the family members who were never able to see their loved one uh, return or returned home. The most striking part of the memorial to me is actually a book, a steel book that sits at the west end of the monument. And that steel book has in it the names of all of those who are also listed um, on the uh, plaques themselves that are part of the monument. And I really feel quite strongly about how uh, conflicts, other historical events, are uh, dedicated and memorialized in public. This has been a really major, major controversial uh, issue in the United States over the last few years. I don't think there's a single person listening to this episode uh, that would be surprised to hear me say that. One thinks back to some of the uh, very heated uh, discussions, debates, and in some cases outright violence has broken out as certain monuments are taken down in the United States. The Vietnam War Memorial must, 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 must not be lumped into those other monuments. And here's why. And those other monuments I refer to are the Civil War monuments, as they've been called, that have been taken down throughout various parts of the United States uh, over the last few years. And there's even been uh, monuments in Michigan, actually, that have uh, been called into question. They're related to the Civil War. And the reason why I want to state that the Vietnam Michigan, uh, the Michigan Vietnam Veterans Memorial is different than those monuments is because it was actually built by uh, people who fought in that conflict, meaning the, the effort, the funds that were raised behind it stemmed from people that fought in that conflict and people who were directly involved in it. And while one could argue that any public monument has a political statement made to it, after all, they wouldn't be erected if they did not intend to inform the public of something. Many of the Civil War monuments that have caused most of the controversy over the last several years in the United States were actually erected after the war happened, in many cases, so long after the war happened, that they were not built by people who fought in the war, nor... Um, by people who were alive when the war happened, and the political purpose for erecting those monuments was really to make a statement against broader national trends that were occurring at the time related to civil rights. Historical context is very important, and the Michigan uh, Vietnam Veterans Memorial has a very different historical context than some of those other uh, monuments that I've discussed here. And, and again, I feel like I should mention that because monuments and public commemorations of events in history tend to be lumped into one giant category, and that is the category of monuments. And things that we see in public, maybe perhaps without even taking much of a notice except on the rare occasion, and we don't think much beyond it. But each 
conflict. Each person that is memorialized in something like a giant stone or steel edifice that is built in a city, in the case of Lansing, the capital of the state of Michigan, it has a really strong, important public element to it. And in fact, my own personal memories of the Michigan uh, Vietnam Monument Project uh, stems from uh, my, my first time, one of my first times, uh, ever walking around downtown Lansing uh, after I started working at Lansing Community College. And this is a, a few, plus a few years ago now, but not so long ago, I don't remember it. And at that time, the monument hadn't been built for very long, and I could kind of tell it by looking around it. And the first time I ever came upon the Michigan-Vietnam uh, Monument Project it was a warm, warm summer afternoon, and I was on a little stroll around downtown Lansing to get a bite to eat for lunch in between classes, and having not been, uh, really, not spent much time at downtown Lansing prior to that point, I wanted to really get to know this area a bit. I, f I in fact, saw it as a great responsibility of myself, having been hired at Lansing Community College to teach history to learn as much about the history of the area as I possibly could. Um, I thought I knew a bit about it already, but I learned that uh, one should never assume that his knowledge is anywhere near complete. And in fact, learning of the Michigan-Vietnam Veterans Memorial Project was really part of that, uh, that voyage of discovery. And one of the things that struck me about the first time I went to this monument was the fact that there was nobody around it at all even though there were a lot of people on the Capitol walkway at the time, there weren't a lot of people. In fact, there wasn't anybody standing right around the Vietnam Memorial itself. And I have taken a similar walk now um, probably hundreds of times, if not more, uh, over the many years that I've had the fortune of uh, teaching at Lansing Community College. And that monument doesn't typically have a lot of people around it. The monument itself gives a very uh, thorough but concise history of some of the main key events that happened in the conflict. And the most important part of the conflict itself, of course, is how it impacted all the lives of the people who fought in it, were injured in it, died in it, or in any other way impacted by it, by having a loved one involved in the war. And the Vietnam War itself actually is a war that started without most Americans even knowing that it had started. And by the time American involvement in Vietnam had reached to the point where there were tens and then eventually hundreds of thousands of American Armed Force personnel in Vietnam and other parts of the Southeast Asia region, there had been so many events that had already taken place leading up to that point that the war may have caught some Americans as a bit of a surprise. But uh, for those that were already involved in the conflict, uh, there was no surprise that the United States had a major military commitment to Vietnam and Southeast Asia. So a little bit of a background of the Vietnam War, I think, is 
definitely warranted at this point. And while we definitely want to keep our focus of this episode of Land Stories on the War Memorial itself and what it means, uh, a background information towards the conflict is going to help us accomplish that goal. And the background of the Vietnam War actually goes many years back to before most Americans even knew about it. We have to go back to World War II, really, and even before that. Before World War II, uh, the European nation of France had a, created a colonial empire that spanned the world. And one of the colonies that France had in its possession was something they called French Indochina. It included what we would eventually call Vietnam. There are other nations in Southeast Asia that would eventually gain their independence from the French Republic. But Vietnam turns out to be the focus of American military interest after World War II ends. And the reason for that is because during World War II, many things had changed in Southeast Asia, uh, including the map, the colonial boundaries of Southeast Asia, and they were by and large colonial boundaries, had influenced the map, had influenced the political, the geographic makeup, uh, the military alliances in Southeast Asia going back decades before we even get to World War II in the 1940s. World War II disrupts all of this. And after World War II, the French make an effort to regain control over some of the colonies they had either lost control of outright during World War II or the power that the French attempted to exert or re-exert over existing uh, colonies had been weakened so dramatically for a variety of reasons, including World War II, that after World War II, uh, the French found themselves in a state where they either had to commit to maintaining their empire or let it go. Eventually, they tried both, and eventually, most of the former French colonies did gain their independence. The situation in Vietnam was complicated. Post-colonial conflicts usually were in this time period. We're talking the middle part of the 20th century. Right after World War II ends, United, uh, France excuse me, makes a major military investment into its Indochina colony. The United States kept a close eye on this and eventually ended up supporting the French by sending military advisors to the conflict zone. In 1954, the French fought a major battle against uh, Vietnamese forces called the Battle of Dien Bien Phu. And at that point, the French are, uh, well, they suffer a major military defeat. They lose lots of their uh, personnel on the battlefield. This happens over the spring of 1954, by and large, uh, March and April. And then in May of 1954, as a result of the fighting that had taken place up to that point, and the uh, Battle of Dien Bien Phu, the international community through the United Nations steps into the uh, situation here and attempts to mediate a uh, ceasefire wherein North and South Vietnam would be divided. So those geographic regions through that division become essentially temporary countries. 
that are independent of one another. One is called North Vietnam. One becomes known as South Vietnam. They had longer names than that. Um, and their names were based on very much their political and military ideology and their founding. But in the United States, they uh, were by and large called North Vietnam and South Vietnam. Part of the UN mandate uh, that happened in 1954 that created North and South Vietnam, again, as these intended to be temporary structures, if you will, temporary countries, um, was that there would be reunification of the two temporarily divided halves of the country at a point in the future. So that reunification then was stated as an intended goal of this temporary division. What ends up happening is that reunification doesn't happen. Instead, a civil war essentially breaks out in Vietnam between those who wanted to follow the South Vietnam uh, political structure and military forces and those who wanted to continue fighting along the forces that had been de- or alongside the forces that had developed during World War II to fight for Vietnamese independence, those forces were communist. Communist by declaration, communist by alliance, communist by name in some cases. That uh, created a major problem in the eyes of official Amer- American policy at the time because this is the height of the Cold War, ladies and gentlemen. The Cold War would be the conflict, um, both real and, as we see with the case of Vietnam, and in some cases, uh, virtual conflict, to use a modern terminology, uh, between the United States and the Soviet Union and American allies and Russian allies between, really, the end of World War II, late 1940s, and right through the uh, dissolution of the Soviet Union, the uh, dissolving of the Soviet Union, which happens in the early 1990s, Vietnam becomes part of the Cold War, and it becomes part of the Cold War in a big way because of the fact that North Vietnam has this history of alliance with various communist forces in Southeast Asia, including those that they themselves created. So when the United States looks at the temporary division of Vietnam in 1954, it looks at it as a Cold War fight. That you have communist infiltration, communist influence, and communist party membership, and communist armies that are uh, encompassing North Vietnam. And in South Vietnam, therefore, the United States sees an opportunity to... Uh, place a bulwark against what it called communist expansion throughout Asia. So that's actually how the United States ends up being involved in the Vietnam War, is through that Cold War tie, and through the ties with the historic alliance and interest in uh, France. So after 1954, over the next really about 10 years, the United States has a steady, but compared to what would happen after 1964, still relatively smaller scale commitment to Vietnam and to South Vietnam. And that military commitment uh, reaches all facets uh, of of form, including sending military advisors uh, over to train South Vietnamese forces. 
This is the uh, condition that the United States sets itself up in as a means of supporting South Vietnam from 1954 on. Most of the fighting in Vietnam that Americans to this day and at the time considered uh, to be the Vietnam War happens after uh, a couple of incidents that occur in the Gulf of Tonkin, which is the uh, sea off the North Vietnamese coast, in August of 1964. These become known as the Gulf of Tonkin incident or the Gulf of Tonkin affair. And the affair is uh, really, it's fairly simple what ends up happening, although at the time it was not simple. There was a a considerable uh, debate that took place within the American intelligence community and defense forces over what actually happened. The United States had, the first week of August in 1964, um, patrol boats and other uh, assets committed to Operation DeSoto, which was an intelligence-gathering reconnaissance operation taking place off the coast of North Vietnam. Two of the the ships that were involved in this operation, one of which was called the USS Maddox, the other of which was called the USS Turner-Joy, reported incidents The Maddox was engaged by North Vietnamese forces on August the 2nd of 1964. Two days later, another ship, the Turner Joy, reported also being engaged, but it wasn't. In the end, actually, the Turner Joy um, had a crew on board that opened fire against false radar noise. The Maddox was actually engaged, And it returned fire and ended up sustaining uh, minor damage. Actually, it wasn't really damage. The minor damage that was reported was one bullet hole that was found in the Maddox um, from fire that the ship faced from North Vietnamese forces. But as a result of the Gulf of Tonkin affair, Congress ended up passing a a, uh, resolution that gave President Lyndon Johnson and the Department of Defense a great degree of latitude in sending American forces to Vietnam. And those forces then arrived in much, much, much greater numbers than they had before, beginning in later 1964 and especially into 1965. That is where most of the men and women who ended up fighting in Vietnam came from. And the names of those who were wounded or died in the war are emblazoned along all of those steel tablets that make up part of that very moving monument. And I will conclude this episode of Land Stories with the Michigan Vietnam Monument Project mission statement. Uh, As is stated at the Michigan Vietnam Veterans Memorial, the Michigan Vietnam Monument Project is an opportunity to recognize, honor, and learn from both the Michigan residents who served and from those who, by death, missing in action, or prisoner of war, sacrificed their life in Vietnam. The monument is intended to provide a place for future generations to reflect upon America's longest and most controversial war, one that divided the nation and was fought by soldiers whose average age was 19 years. Completion of construction will continue the healing process for the Vietnam veterans 
their family members, and the countless numbers of individuals and organizations who were profoundly affected by this war. The monument's dedication will provide the welcome home bypassed during the turmoil of that time. To this end, we dedicate our labors and invite the state and the nation to join this task. Michigan Vietnam Monument Commissioners, November 11th, 2001. You've been listening to Land Stories with me, David Seawick. For more information on this program and to stream past episodes, visit lccconnect.org. LCC Connect is the official home of the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College, offering hours of original and exciting programming. Hosted by faculty, staff, and community members, LCC Connect explores our college's work in the community, important topics in higher education, and our vision for the future. Catch the vibe on 89.7 FM or online at lccconnect.org. Until next time, remember, keep telling good stories.